Welcome to Nations of the World podcast series, where we explore a different nation of the world in each episode. Our aim is to bring you, the listener, on an audio journey to discover interesting facts that make each country unique. Welcome to Australia, Part 1. This is Segment 1, Bare Bones. Location Australia is located between the Indian and Pacific Oceans in the Southern Hemisphere. The people are known as Australian or Aussie. The official name is Commonwealth of Australia. The name is derived from the Latin Terra Australis, meaning Southern Land. When Europeans first began visiting and mapping Australia in the 17th century, the name Terra Australis was naturally applied to the new territories. The first time the name Australia appears to have been officially used was in April of 1817, when Governor Lachlan Macquarie recommended to the Colonial Office that it be formally adopted. In 1824, the Admiralty agreed that the continent should be known officially by that name. At times you may also hear it referred to as Oz or the land down under. The capital is Canberra. The land size. It is 7,741,200 square kilometers, or 2,988,894 square miles. It's the world's sixth largest country and the largest country in Oceania. It is just slightly smaller than the U.S. contiguous 48 states. Population 25,809,973 The official language There is no official language, but English is the national language. Official religion The Constitution of Australia of 1901 prohibits the Commonwealth government from establishing a church or interfering with the freedom of religion. Currency Australian dollar The flag It is blue with the flag of the United Kingdom in the upper left quadrant and a large white seven-pointed star in the lower left quadrant known as the Commonwealth or Federation Star. This is representing the Federation of the Colonies of Australia in 1901. The star depicts one point for each of the six original states and one representing all of Australia's internal and external territories. On the right half is a representation of the Southern Cross constellation in white, with one small five-pointed star and four larger seven-pointed stars. Form of government. It is a federal parliamentary constitutional monarchy. Segment 2, Heart of the Nation. Geography and Climate. This nation is comprised of the mainland of the Australian continent, the island of Tasmania, and numerous smaller islands. It is the world's smallest continent and is often dubbed the island continent. It is sometimes considered the world's largest island. It has several dependencies or external territories. These are Ashmore and Cartier Islands, Christmas Island, Cocos or Keeling Islands, Coral Sea Islands, Heard Island, Norfolk Island, 
and the Australian Antarctic Territory, covering 42% of the Antarctic continent. 91% of Australia is covered in vegetation, and it is also one of the only 17 mega-diverse countries. This means that it harbors many of Earth's species and high numbers of endemic species. Australia has 36,735 kilometers or 22,826 miles of coastline, excluding all offshore islands. With the islands, there is over 47,000 kilometers or 29,204 miles of coastline. It claims an extensive exclusive economic zone of 8,148,250 square kilometers or 3,146,060 square miles. An exclusive economic zone is an area of the sea in which a sovereign state has special rights regarding the exploration and use of marine resources, including energy production from water and wind. It stretches from the baseline out to 200 nautical miles from the coast of the state in question. Australia's size gives it a wide variety of landscapes, with tropical rainforests in the northeast, mountain ranges in the southeast, southwest, and east, and desert in the center. The desert or semi-arid land, commonly known as the outback, makes up by far the largest portion of land. The climate of Australia is significantly influenced by ocean currents, including the Indian Ocean Dipole and the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which is correlated with periodic drought and the seasonal tropical low-pressure system that produces cyclones in northern Australia. These factors cause rainfall to vary markedly from year to year. Much of the northern part of the country has a tropical, predominantly summer rainfall, or monsoon. The southwest corner of the country has a Mediterranean climate. The southeast ranges from oceanic, from Tasmania and coastal Victoria, to humid subtropical in the upper half of New South Wales, with the highlands featuring alpine and subpolar oceanic climates. The interior is arid to semi-arid. Australia is the driest inhabited continent. Its annual rainfall averaged over the continental area is less than 500 millimeters, just under 20 inches. Water restrictions are frequently in place in many regions and cities of Australia in response to chronic shortages due to urban population increases and localized drought. Throughout much of the continent, major flooding regularly follows extended periods of drought, flushing out inland river systems, overflowing dams, and inundating large inland floodplains, as occurred throughout eastern Australia in the early 2010s after the 2000s Australian drought. Eastern Australia is marked by the Great Dividing Range, which is 2,300 miles or 3,700 kilometers stretching around the eastern and southeastern edge of Australia. It runs parallel to the coast of Queensland, New South Wales, and much of Victoria, and sends water down into Australia's most important rivers and the Great Artesian Basin, the largest groundwater source in the world. The coastal uplands and a belt of Brigalow grasslands lie between the coast and the mountains while inland of the Dividing Range are large areas of grassland and shrubland. 
This includes the western plains of New South Wales and the Mitchell Grass Downs and Mulga lands of inland Queensland. The northernmost point of the mainland is the tropical Cape York Peninsula. The landscapes of the Top End and the Gulf Country with their tropical climate include forest, woodland, wetland, grassland, rainforest, and desert. At the northwest corner of the continent are the sandstone cliffs and gorges of the Kimberley, and below that the Pilbara. The Victoria Plains tropical savanna lies south of the Kimberley and Arnhem land savannas, forming a transition between the coastal savannas and the interior deserts. At the heart of the country are the uplands of central Australia. The island state of Tasmania is the only Australian state that isn't located on the mainland. Tasmania is one of the world's last temperate wildernesses. It has some unique wildlife. The most famous is the Tasmanian devil, which is a small and ferocious cat-like animal. The Great Barrier Reef, the world's largest coral reef, lies a short distance off the northeast coast and extends for over 2,000 kilometers, or 1,200 miles. The colorful coral of the Great Barrier Reef is made from a liquid emitted by trillions of tiny sea creatures called coral polyps. This liquid eventually hardens and becomes shell-like. There have been campaigns to preserve the Great Barrier Reef since its popularity as a tourist site has led to its deterioration. Another major mountain range is the McDonnell Ranges. It is in the southern part of Northern Territory and has an area of 3,929,444 hectares, or 9,709,870 acres. The range is 644 kilometers or 400 miles long in central Australia, consisting of parallel ridges. It contains many spectacular gaps and gorges, as well as areas of aboriginal significance. Mount Augustus is the largest rock in the world. It is in western Australia, roughly 1,000 kilometers north of Perth. It rises 860 meters, or 2,820 feet, above the surrounding plain and covers an area of 4,795 hectares, or 18.51 square miles. It has a central ridge about 8 kilometers or 5 miles long and is estimated to be more than 1,600 million years old. It is a monocline, an exposed piece of rock belonging to a layer beneath. Wallaman Falls is a horsetail waterfall on the Stony Creek in North Queensland, which drops 268 meters or 879 feet. Major rivers include Mare Darling, Marumbidgee, and Lachlan. The highest point is Mount Kosciuszko at 2,228 meters or 7,310 feet. The lowest point is Lake Eyre at minus 15 meters or minus 50 feet. Australia has four time zones, including Lord Howe Island. It has 516 national parks. Natural hazards. Cyclones can occur along the coast, there are severe droughts and forest fires, and there is volcanic activity on Heard and McDonald Islands. Environment. Many of Australia's ecoregions 
and the species within those regions are threatened by human activities and introduced animal, fungal, and plant species. All these factors have led to Australia's having the highest mammal extinction rate of any country in the world. The Federal Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act of 1999 is the legal framework for the protection of threatened species. Numerous protected areas have been created under the National Strategy for the Conservation of Australia's Biological Diversity to protect and preserve unique ecosystems. Sixty-five wetlands are listed under the Ramsar Convention, and 16 natural World Heritage Sites have been established. Australia was ranked 21st out of 178 countries in the world on the 2018 Environmental Performance Index. There are more than 1,800 animals and plants on Australia's threatened species list. Current Issues Soil erosion from overgrazing, deforestation, industrial development, urbanization, and poor farming practices. Limited natural freshwater resources. Soil salinity rising due to the use of poor quality water. Drought. Desertification. Clearing for agricultural purposes threatens the natural habitat of many unique animal and plant species. Disruption of the fragile ecosystem has resulted in significant floral extinctions. The Great Barrier Reef off the northeast coast, the largest coral reef in the world, is threatened by increased shipping and its popularity as a tourist site. Overfishing, pollution, and invasive species are also problems. Australia is a party to several international environmental agreements. A few of these are Antarctic Environmental Protection, Climate Change the Kyoto Protocol, Climate Change the Paris Agreement, Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban, Marine Life Conservation, Tropical Timer 2006, and Whaling. Researchers from several universities and BirdLife Australia are still working to finalize the report titled Australia's 2019-2020 to Bushfires, the Wildlife Toll. But it is likely that nearly 3 billion animals were killed or displaced by Australia's devastating bushfires. The figure includes an estimated 143 million mammals, 2.46 billion reptiles, 180 million birds and 51 million frogs. A report commissioned by the Worldwide Fund for Nature, or WWF, found. The number of reptiles is significantly higher than the others because there are generally more of them per hectare or 10,000 square meters than mammals or birds. Previous research concluded that there is now a significant and immediate threat of extinction to Australia's koala population following the fires. A minimum of 5,000 koalas are estimated to have died, according to a report released by Global Conservation Group, International Fund for Animal Welfare. WWF Australia CEO Dermot O. McGorman said, The interim findings are shocking. It's hard to think of another event anywhere in the world in living memory that has killed or displaced that many animals. This ranks as one of the worst wildlife disasters in modern history. With more than 15,000 fires across every Australian state, 
This was the worst fire season on record, according to the report. Vegetation There are more than 25,000 species of native plants. Fungi is prevalent in Australia with an estimated 250,000 species, of which only 5% have been described. About 85% of the flowering plants are endemic to Australia. Australian forests are mostly made up of evergreen species, particularly the eucalyptus tree in the less arid regions. Wattles, also known as acacias, replace them as the dominant species in drier regions in deserts. There are almost 1,000 species of acacia in the forests of Australia. They usually grow more than 30 meters tall. Acacia plants contain more protein and fats than any other plant. The eucalyptus leaves and leaf oils have medicinal properties, and the sap can be used as adhesive resins. The bark and wood have been used for making vessels, tools, and weapons, such as spears and clubs. Wildlife Although most of Australia is semi-arid or desert, the continent includes a diverse range of habitats, from alpine heaths to tropical rainforests. About 84% of mammals, more than 45% of birds, and 89% of inshore, temperate zone fish are endemic. Australia has at least 755 species of reptiles, more than any other country in the world. Besides Antarctica, Australia is the only continent that developed without feline species. Among well-known Australian animals are the monotremes, the platypus and echidna, which are the only two mammals in the world that lay eggs and are only found in Australia. There are several marsupials, including the kangaroo, koala, and wombat. Unique birds include the emu and the kookaburra. Two animals that I will feature in this episode are kangaroos and koalas. Kangaroos There are about 60 species of kangaroos. Many people believe that kangaroos are only found in Australia, but a few are also found in Papua New Guinea and New Zealand. They like to live in the rainforest areas or eucalyptus woodlands. They are characterized by carrying their young in a pouch and by hopping from place to place. Other interesting facts is that they are herbivores and chew cud, which means they regurgitate their food and rechew it before it is finally digested. Kangaroos can survive without water for months. They can also dig wells for water, which can be three to four feet deep. The length of a baby kangaroo at the time of its birth can be between one and two centimeters. Australia's national animal is the red kangaroo, or Macropus rufus. Also known as the red giant kangaroo, it is the biggest land mammal that's native to Australia. They are plentiful in Australia and they're listed as least concern for conservation status. Like all wildlife, however, they are protected by Australian law. Red kangaroos live in groups of two to four members, most commonly females with their young. Young males engage in ritualized fighting known as boxing, standing on their hind legs attempting to push their opponent off balance. If the fight escalates, they will begin to kick each other. The female red kangaroo is usually permanently pregnant, except on the day she gives birth. She can freeze the development of an embryo 
until the previous joey is able to leave the pouch. This is known as embryonic diapause. Koalas The Australian government declared koalas as protected species in the late 1930s. Despite its rich, unique biodiversity, Australia is at risk of losing valuable species. Even though the koala is often called a bear, it's a marsupial, an animal with a pouch on its stomach that holds young inside until they're old enough to brave the outside world. They are closely related to kangaroos and wombats. Their fur is coarse like wool and helps to keep them dry. They have fingerprints and are the only other mammal, apart from humans and chimpanzees, that have those. Koalas have a very good sense of smell and very poor eyesight, which forces them to rely on their ears rather than their eyes to avoid predators and move from tree to tree. Koalas are generally solitary. Male and female koalas only meet to mate. Females generally start breeding at about three or four years of age. Some produce offspring only every two or three years, and on average she may produce five or six offspring over her lifetime. Koala mothers are pregnant for a little over a month and have only one baby at a time. The baby is called a joey. Joeys are born the size of a jelly bean about two centimeters or three quarters of an inch, with no hair, no ears, and they are blind. They make their way from the birth canal to the pouch completely unaided, relying on its well-developed senses of smell and touch. The young only drink its mother's milk for the first six to seven months, remaining in that pouch for that time. From about 22 to 30 weeks, it begins to feed on a substance called pap, which the mother produces in addition to milk. Pap is a specialized form of feces or droppings, which allows it to make the transition from milk to eucalyptus leaves somewhat like a human baby is fed soft food when it starts to eat solids. The pap is thought to come from a pouch connected to the junction of the small and large intestine of the mother. This allows the mother to pass on microorganisms present in her own digestive system to her joey, which are essential to the digestion of eucalyptus leaves and is a rich source of protein. Eventually it begins to feed upon fresh leaves as it rides on her back. Koalas grow to their full size by the time they are 4 years old and live between 10 and 15 years. Koalas sleep for up to 18 hours a day and are nocturnal. They eat only eucalyptus leaves and spend most of their lives on the branches of these trees. The only time they leave their tree is to find another tree with more leaves to eat. They don't drink very much water. Instead, they get moisture from the leaves of the eucalyptus. Koalas need about 100 trees each to survive, which means that even though they aren't being hunted as they once were, their population is decreasing as the forests that make up their homes disappear. 14 football fields worth of the koala's tree-filled habitats are destroyed every day. While eucalyptus leaves are poisonous to almost every other animal, Koalas can subsist on them as a singular diet because of their digestive tract, which produces bacteria to break down the poison while they sleep. In recent years, koala populations have been infected with chlamydia, a sexually transmitted disease usually found in humans. Some koala populations have had chlamydia infection rates as high as 100%. Scientists are working to cure chlamydia outbreaks in koalas, 
a difficult task since antibiotics can prevent cultivation of gut bacteria needed to break down the poison in eucalyptus leaves. Australia currently has more than 500 animals on the endangered species list. There are large numbers of animals that were introduced as domestic pets but are now wild. These include dingoes, water buffaloes, camels, donkeys, pigs, goats, and banteng, which are cows that originated in Asia. The dingo was introduced by Austronesian people who traded with indigenous Australians around 3000 BCE. Some of the animals which are not native have caused problems to the native ecosystems. Cane toads, for instance, were introduced to control pests, but they're highly venomous to native animals and to humans. Cane toads are now considered a dangerous, invasive pest. Feral cats may have been introduced in the 17th century by Dutch shipwrecks, and later in the 18th century by European settlers. They are now considered a major factor in decline and extinction of many vulnerable and endangered native species. Red foxes were also introduced, and they have affected some small animal populations. Australia is home to some of the deadliest animals in the world, spiders, snakes, crocodiles, jellyfish, and octopus. There are 36 species of poisonous funnel-web spiders in eastern Australia. They can be seen in the Australian Reptile Park, the only place in the world where these spiders are milked. The venom is sent to a laboratory where antivenom is made. Surprisingly, the last time a spider killed somebody in Australia was in 1981. There are also 20 types of venomous snakes, the only country in the world where there are more venomous than non-venomous snakes. The inland Taipan, the most venomous snake, attacks without warning and bites repeatedly, killing its victim in minutes. With one bite, it can kill at least 100 fully grown men. The tropical northern Australia is home to the world's largest species of saltwater crocodiles. They can grow as big as 22 feet or 6.7 meters. People Although Australia has no official language, English is the de facto national language. Australian English is a major variety of the language with a distinctive accent and lexicon and differs slightly from other varieties of English in grammar and spelling. General Australian serves as the standard dialect. According to the 2016 census, English is the only language spoken in the home for 72.7% of the population. The next most common languages spoken at home are Mandarin at 2.5%, Arabic at 1.4%, Cantonese 1.2%, Vietnamese 1.2%, and Italian 1.2%. Over 250 indigenous Australian languages are thought to have existed at the time of first European contact, of which fewer than 20 are still in daily use by all age groups. At the time of the 2006 census, 52,000 Indigenous Australians, representing 12% of the Indigenous population, reported that they spoke an Indigenous language at home. Australia has a sign language known as Auslan, which is the main language of about 10,112 deaf people who reported that they spoke Auslan language at home in the 2016 census.
The three main social classes are the working class, the middle class, and the upper class. The wealthiest 5-10% to are usually regarded as upper class, with their wealth derived from ownership and control of property and capital. The growing middle class is defined as individuals with non-manual occupations. Non-manual workers typically earn more than manual workers, although upper-level manual workers, such as tradespeople, earn more than those in sales and personal service positions. The professions, which include such occupations as accountants, computing specialists, engineers, and medical doctors, have been one of the fastest-growing sectors of the economy. Since the 1980s, the number of manual workers has been in decline. Manual workers form the nucleus of the working class, 20-40% to self-identify with this category. Between 1788 and the Second World War, most settlers and immigrants came from the British Isles, principally England, Ireland, and Scotland, although there was significant immigration from China and Germany during the 19th century. I will focus on two of the ethnic groups of people in Australia. The first group of people I will highlight is the Chinese. The ethnic Chinese were part of a varied mix of people that inhabited early Sydney town. It was the increasing demand for cheap labor after convict transportation ceased in the 1840s that led to a much larger number of Chinese men arriving as indentured laborers to work as shepherds for private landowners in the Australian Agricultural Company. These workers mainly came from the province of Fujian via the port of Amoy, with some having been kidnapped and brought to Australia. In the 1850s, the opening of ports such as Amoy as treaty ports facilitated the practice of importing indentured labor. Gold was found at several places in Australia in 1851, but significant Chinese migration to join the diggers only began late in 1853. The 1850s and 1860s saw the largest pre-Federation Chinese migration to Australia, with numbers peaking around 40,000. Most of the people who came to Australia for the gold rush were from Guangdong province. The California gold rush has been known as Old Gold Mountain to the Chinese of Guangdong. The Australian rush was known as New Gold Mountain. Chinese immigrants to Australia left such conditions as overpopulation, the declining power of the Qing dynasty, and the devastation caused by the Taiping Rebellion and the local Canton Hakapunti clan wars. These issues impacted many parts of China, but immigrants to California and the Australian colonies came mainly from the counties closest to the port of Hong Kong. The average voyage from Canton via Hong Kong to Sydney and Melbourne, took about three months. It was a profitable exercise for the shipmasters, and the more Chinese passengers they could fit on board, the more money they could make from the passage fares. These fares were often paid through a system of debt to clan leaders and or to agents who accompanied them on the ship. Such methods of travel were known as credit tickets. However, some Chinese were able to pay their own way. These were often the wealthier, city-born men who were coming to Australia to be merchants or work in an industry other than gold mining. From 1853 to 1855, thousands of Chinese people disembarked in Melbourne and headed for the gold fields. Very few Chinese women came to Australia during this period. In 1861, 
at least 38,000 Chinese people lived in the Australian colonies, with the vast majority being men. On the gold fields of Bendigo in 1861, there were 5,367 Chinese men and only one Chinese woman. In 1861, there were around 40,000 Chinese people living in Australia, constituting 3.3% of the total population. The arrivals of large numbers of Chinese into the only recently created colony of Victoria caused great alarm among its politicians and gold seekers. In the Victorian Parliament, it was argued that it was a security risk to have so many Chinese in the colony who were fanatically loyal to a despotic foreign emperor who could order them to rise up at any moment. But the real issue was fear of competition on the gold fields, and in 1855, the Victorian Parliament passed the Chinese Restriction Act in an effort to restrict Chinese immigration. There were a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment amongst the European miners. In July 1854, in the Bendigo Advertiser, it was reported that William Denovan called for an uprising for the purpose of the driving of the Chinese population off the Bendigo goldfield. A riot was averted by the local police commissioner. However, this sort of sentiment was widespread throughout the Australian gold rushes. In 1857, the sentiment caused the Buckland Riot, and in 1860-61, the Lambing Flat Riots in New South Wales. There was also unrest around Ararat when a party of Chinese men were the first to discover gold there and kept the find quiet. The Chinese people were living in so-called camps in the gold fields. The camps soon consisted of buildings similar to others, but were the forerunners to later Chinatowns in many places. The organization of these camps was often done around clan or dialect differences where this was applicable. While most of the men were from Guangdong province, several different dialects and Chinese languages were present on the gold fields. These camps were their own little communities. To the Europeans, these were notorious and exotic places. At the same time in China, opium addiction was rampant. Some of the men brought this addiction with them to the gold fields. Two of the most common finds by modern fossickers in the area of Chinese camps are Chinese coins and opium pipes. However, the records of local health groups and hospitals show only low numbers of Chinese were ever treated for their opium addictions. After the gold rushes in Victoria, some Chinese moved into the other colonies to follow gold rushes there. New South Wales and Queensland hadn't followed Victoria in establishing Chinese-related legislation. This could be seen as a cause for the Lambing Flats riots, and then later the same problems were found on the Palmer River goldfields in the late 1870s, where Chinese miners vastly outnumbered Europeans. Mining remained one of the biggest industries for Chinese in Australia, but it was becoming more of a risky endeavor as the alluvial fields petered out. Chinese in the country towns either established themselves in other industries there or moved to the cities. Many of those opened stores and became merchants and hawkers. In 1890, in New South Wales alone, there were nearly 800 shops owned and run by the Chinese. Fishing and fish-curing industries were operating in Melbourne and north and south of Sydney in the 1850s, 60s, and 1870s.
This provided Chinese people throughout New South Wales and Victoria with valuable seafood. By the 1890s, Chinese people in Australia were represented in a wide variety of occupations, including scrub cutters, interpreters, cooks, tobacco farmers, launderers, market gardeners, cabinet makers, storekeepers and drapers, as by this time the Chinese-operated fishing industry seems to have disappeared. By the time of Australian Federation, there were around 29,000 ethnic Chinese in Australia. Chinese people in the capital cities of Sydney and Melbourne were a significant group running numerous stores, an import trade, societies, and several Chinese-language newspapers. There were also many Chinese still working in the north of Queensland in the banana trade. Tin mining in Tasmania was also a venture that brought Chinese workers to the state. The Federation of States in 1901 coincided with the implementation of one of the most influential governmental policies affecting the development of the national culture, the Immigration Restriction Act. This white Australia policy was aimed primarily at combating the perceived yellow peril represented by immigrants from neighboring Asian countries. Fear of miscegenation, a mixing of races, and xenophobia, fear of foreigners, and the consequent race riots resulted in restrictive legislation against the importation of Pacific and Chinese labor. However, immigration was viewed as important. A well-known catchphrase was, populate or perish, reflecting the rationale that population growth would aid both defense and economic development. In the decades immediately following the Second World War, Australia received a large wave of immigration from across Europe, with many more immigrants arriving from Southern and Eastern Europe than in previous decades. Since the end of the White Australia policy in 1973, Australia has pursued an official policy of multiculturalism, and there has been a large and continuing wave of immigration from across the world, with Asia being the largest source of immigrants in the 21st century. This brought new arrivals from the Chinese diaspora, and for the first time significant numbers from non-Cantonese-speaking parts of China. The first wave of arrivals were ethnic Chinese refugees from Vietnam and Cambodia during the 1970s. This was followed by economic migrants from Hong Kong in the 1980s and 90s, whose families often settled in Sydney. While the breadwinner returned to Hong Kong to continue earning an income, a significant reversal of the traditional migration pattern. After the Tiananmen Square Massacre of 1989, the then-Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke allowed students from mainland China who were residing there to settle in Australia permanently. Since then, immigrants from mainland China and Taiwan have arrived in increasing numbers. New institutions were established for these arrivals, and old ones such as the Chinese Chamber of Commerce revived. Chinese-language newspapers were once again published. The equality of citizenship laws and family reunion immigration after 1972 meant that an imbalance of the sexes, once a dominant feature of the Chinese communities in Australia, was not an issue in these later migrations. Chinese newspapers are published in Australia, and three shortwave and longwave radio channels broadcast in Mandarin and Cantonese. The Australian public broadcaster, SBS, also provides television and radio on weekends. 
In 2005 to 2006, China, not including Hong Kong or Macau, was the third major source of permanent migrants to Australia behind the United Kingdom and New Zealand, but with more migrants than from India. Between 2000 and 2006, the number of skilled migrants coming to Australia from China more than tripled, from 3,800 to 12,500 people. Throughout much of the 20th century, migrants were selected according to a hierarchy of desirability that was broadened as preferred sources dried up. The British were always at the top of the list, and several government subsidies and settlement schemes were implemented to encourage their immigration. Immigration thus can be defined as a series of waves, with the British dominating until the 1940s, followed by the Northern Europeans including displaced persons from World War I, Southern Europeans, predominantly in the post-World War II period, and eventually, after the white Australia policy was abandoned in 1972, Asians. Immigration has declined since the 1980s, and it's now difficult to gain entry. The number of migrants has become an issue of debate, particularly regarding uninvited refugees. Australia's long history of immigration and the increasing ethnic diversity of its population have spurred debates about the definition of an Australian. Many Aboriginal and Asian citizens still experience a sense of alienation and exclusion from acceptance as real Aussies and in difficult economic times often become political and social scapegoats. However, concerted efforts have been made to present these groups in a positive and inclusive light. New Zealand is the national culture related most closely to Australia. New Zealanders have special entry rights, and there have been large population flows in both directions. Australians and New Zealanders compete energetically in areas such as sport, but cooperate closely in international relations. Today, Australia has the world's eighth-largest immigrant population, with immigrants accounting for 30% of the population, the highest proportion among major Western nations. There were 160,323 permanent immigrants admitted to Australia in 2018-2019, to excluding refugees, while there was a net population gain of 239,600 people from all permanent and temporary immigration in that year. Ethnic groups in Australia are 25.9% English, 25.4% Australian, 7.5% Irish, 6.4% Scottish, 3.3% Italian, 3.2% German, 3.1% Chinese, 2.8% Aborigines, 1.4% Indian, 1.4% Greek, 1.2% Dutch, and 13% other, 5.4% are unspecified. Melbourne, Victoria is the home to the second largest Greek population in the world after Athens in Greece. The second ethnic group I will highlight in this episode are the indigenous people, the Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders. At the 2016 Australian Census, 798,365, or 3% of Australian population, identified as being Indigenous, Aboriginal Australians, and Torres Strait Islanders. 
These are people with familial heritage to groups that lived in Australia before British colonization. Indigenous Australians experience higher-than-average rates of imprisonment and unemployment, lower levels of education, and life expectancies for males and females that are, respectively, 11 and 17 years lower than those of non-Indigenous Australians. Some remote Indigenous communities have been described as having failed state-like conditions. The population of Aboriginal Australians at the time of permanent European settlement is contentious and has been estimated at between 318,000 and 1 million, with the distribution being like that of the current Australian population, the majority living in the southeast, centered along the Marais River. They experienced a population collapse, principally from disease which followed European settlement, beginning with a smallpox epidemic spreading three years after the arrival of Europeans. Massacres and frontier conflicts involving European settlers also contributed to depopulation. Although there are several commonalities among the various Aboriginal peoples, there is also a great diversity among different communities and societies in Australia, each with its own mixture of cultures, customs, and languages. In present-day Australia, these groups are further divided into local communities. At the time of initial European settlement, over 250 Aboriginal languages were spoken. It is currently estimated that 120 to 145 of these remain in use, but all except 13 are considered endangered. Aboriginal people today mostly speak English, with Aboriginal phrases and words being added to create Australian Aboriginal English. The Torres Strait Islander people possess a heritage and cultural history distinct from Aboriginal traditions. The Eastern Torres Strait Islanders are related to the Papuan people of New Guinea and speak a Papuan language. Six percent of indigenous Australians identify themselves fully as Torres Strait Islanders. A further four percent of indigenous Australians identify themselves as having both Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal heritage. The Torres Strait Islands comprise over 100 islands which were annexed by Queensland in 1879. Several settlements of humans in Australia have been dated around 49,000 years ago. There is evidence that some Aboriginal populations in northern Australia regularly traded with Makassan fishermen from Indonesia before the arrival of Europeans. The immediate impact of British colonization was a series of epidemics of European diseases such as measles, smallpox, and tuberculosis. In the 19th century, smallpox was the principal cause of Aboriginal deaths, and vaccinations of the native inhabitants had begun in earnest by the 1840s. Another consequence of British colonization was European seizure of land and water resources, with the decimation of kangaroo and other indigenous foodstuffs, which continued through the 19th and early 20th centuries, as rural lands were converted for sheep and cattle grazing. Settlers also participated in the rape and forcible prostitution of Aboriginal women. Despite this, a few Europeans, including convicts, formed favorable impressions of Aboriginal life through living with Aboriginal groups. Throughout most of the 19th and 20th centuries, 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people had their lives under the jurisdiction of various state-based protection laws. These Acts of Parliament appointed protectors of Aborigines and Aboriginal Protection Boards, whose role was to ensure the safety of Indigenous Australians, as well as controlling their lives in matters of employment and marriage. Wages were controlled by the protectors, and Indigenous Australians received less income than their non-Indigenous counterparts in employment. During this time, many Aboriginal people were victims of slavery by colonists, alongside Pacific Islander peoples who were kidnapped from their homes in a practice known as blackbirding. Between 1860 and 1970, under the guise of protectionist policies, people, including children as young as 12, were forced to work on properties where they worked under horrific conditions and most did not receive any wages. From 1810, Aboriginal peoples were moved onto mission stations run by churches and the state. While they provided food and shelter, their purpose was to civilize Aboriginal communities by teaching Western values. After this period of protectionist policies that aimed to segregate and control Aboriginal populations, in 1937 the Commonwealth government agreed to move towards assimilation policies. These policies aimed to integrate Aboriginal persons who were not of full blood into the white community to eliminate the Aboriginal problem. As part of this, there was an increase in the number of children forcibly removed from their homes and placed with white people, either in institutions or foster homes. The term stolen generations refers to those children of Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent who were forcibly removed from their families by the Australian federal and state government agencies and church missions for the purpose of eradicating Aboriginal culture under acts of their respective parliaments. The forcible removal of these children occurred in the period between approximately 1871 and 1969, although in some places children were still being taken in the 1970s. In Queensland, the killing of Aboriginal peoples was largely perpetrated by civilian hunting parties and the native police, who swarmed groups of Aboriginal men who were then taken at gunpoint and led by colonialists to eliminate Aboriginal resistance. There is evidence that massacres of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, which began with the arrival of British colonists, continued until the 1930s. Researchers at the University of Newcastle, under Lyndall Ryan, have been mapping the massacres. As of 2020, they have mapped almost 500 places where massacres happened, with 12,361 Aboriginal people killed and 204 colonists killed, numbering at least 311 massacres over a period of about 140 years. After losing a significant number of their social unit in one blow, the survivors were left very vulnerable, with reduced ability to gather food, reproduce, or fulfill their ceremonial obligations, as well as defend themselves against further attack. Despite efforts to bar their enlistment, over 1,000 Indigenous Australians fought for Australia in the First World War. Hundreds of Indigenous Australians served in the Australian Armed Forces during World War II, including with the Torres Strait Light Infantry Battalion 
and the Northern Territory Special Reconnaissance Unit, which were established to guard Australia's north against the threat of Japanese invasion. However, most were denied pension rights and military allotments, except in Victoria, where each case was judged individually without a blanket denial of rights accruing from their service. The 1960s was a pivotal decade in the assertion of Aboriginal rights and a time of growing collaboration between Aboriginal activists and white Australian activists. In 1962, Commonwealth legislation specifically gave Aboriginal people the right to vote in Commonwealth elections. A group of students from the University of Sydney organized a bus tour of western and coastal New South Wales towns in 1965 to raise awareness of the state of Aboriginal health and living conditions. This freedom ride also aimed to highlight the social discrimination faced by Aboriginal people and encourage Aboriginal people themselves to resist discrimination. The Aboriginal Land Rights in Northern Territory Act 1976 recognized Aboriginal Australian system of land rights in the Northern Territory and established the basis upon which Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory could claim rights to land based on traditional occupation. In 1984, a group of Pintupi people who were living a traditional hunter-gatherer desert-dwelling life were tracked down in the Gibson Desert in Western Australia and brought into a settlement. They are believed to have been the last uncontacted tribe in Australia. In 1985, the Australian government returned ownership of Uluru Ayers Rock to the Pitjantjatjara Aboriginal people. During this period, the federal government enacted several significant but controversial policy initiatives in relation to Indigenous Australians. A representative body, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission, was set up in 1990. In 2001, the federal government dedicated Reconciliation Place in Canberra. On the 13th of February in 2008, the Prime Minister issued a public apology to members of the Stolen Generations on behalf of the Australian government. Music and art play a huge role in Indigenous culture. The didgeridoo and clapping sticks are instantly recognizable Aboriginal instruments. The didgeridoo is a large bamboo or wooden trumpet played with continuously vibrating lips and circular breathing to produce a continuous drone. Aboriginal rock painting is the longest unbroken art tradition on earth, with creations in the Narwhala Gambarnmong rock shelter in Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory dated at 28,000 years. Indigenous art continues to thrive in the new millennium, with prominent galleries in places like Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, and Central Australia. Jabwarong and Jardwajali people in Victoria had been playing Marn Grook, a variety of football using a possum hide as the ball. For years before it inspired the invention of Australian rules football, a sport which Indigenous players have contributed enormously to. Before European settlement, the animist beliefs of Australia's Indigenous people had been practiced for many thousands of years. Mainland Aboriginal Australians' spirituality is known as the dreaming, or dream time, and it places a heavy emphasis on belonging to the land. 
It covers a mythological period that had a beginning but no foreseeable end, during which the natural environment was shaped by the actions of mythic beings. Many of these beings took the form of human beings or of animals. They were responsible for creating human life and credited with establishing the social order. They believed that some of these mythic beings were killed or disappeared, and others were metamorphosed as physiographic features, such as a rocky outcrop or a waterhole. It is believed that they are still as present today as they ever were. The places where the mythic beings performed some action or were turned into something else became sacred, and it was around these that ritual was focused. The dreaming includes totemism, a system of belief in which humans are said to have kinship or a mystical relationship with a spirit being, such as an animal or plant. The entity or totem is thought to interact with a given kin group or an individual and to serve as their emblem or symbol. The collection of stories that it contains shaped Aboriginal law and customs. Aboriginal art, story, and dance continue to draw on these spiritual traditions. The spirituality and customs of Torres Strait Islanders, who inhabit the islands between Australia and New Guinea, reflected their Melanesian origins and dependence on the sea. The 1996 Australian census counted more than 7,000 respondents as followers of a traditional Aboriginal religion. Religion Australia has no state religion. Section 116 of the Australian Constitution prohibits the federal government from making any law to establish any religion, impose any religious observance, or prohibit the free exercise of any religion. In the 2016 census, 52.1% of Australians were counted as Christian, including 23.1% Protestant, 22.6% as Roman Catholic, and 4.2% other Christian. 30.1% of the population reported having no religion. 8.2% identify with non-Christian religions, the largest of these being Islam, 2.6%, followed by Buddhism, 2.4%, Hinduism, 1.9%, Sikhism, 0.5%, and Judaism at 0.4%. The remaining 9.7% of the population did not provide an adequate answer. Australia has one of the lowest levels of religious adherence in the world. In 2018, 13% of women and 10% of men reported attending church at least weekly. Extensive immigration has made Australia one of the most religiously diverse societies in the world. Almost all faiths are represented with significant numbers of Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, and Hindus. Many indigenous Australians have embraced Christianity, often because of their contact with missionaries and missions. Religious alternatives such as spiritualism and theosophy have had a small but steady presence since the 1850s. A growing set of beliefs is represented by the so-called New Age movement, which arrived in the 1960s and evolved into the widespread alternative health and spirituality movement of the 1990s. 
This has opened the way for an interest in paganism and other aspects of the occult among a minority of citizens. The law requires that deceased people be dealt with according to health regulations. A vigil over the body in the family home is practiced in some religious and cultural traditions. Funeral parlors prepare the body of the deceased for cremation or burial in a cemetery. Funerals are attended by family members and friends and often include a religious ceremony. History Human habitation of the Australian continent is known to have begun at least 65,000 years ago, with the migration of people by land bridges and short sea crossings from what is now Southeast Asia. The Majabib rock shelter in Arnhem Land is recognized as the oldest site showing the presence of humans in Australia. The oldest human remains found are the Lake Mungo remains, which have been dated to around 41,000 years ago. These people were the ancestors of modern indigenous Australians. Aboriginal Australian culture is one of the oldest continual cultures on earth. The first recorded European sighting of the Australian mainland and the first recorded European landfall on the Australian continent are attributed to the Dutch. The first ship and crew to chart the Australian coast and meet with Aboriginal people was the Doifkin, captained by Dutch navigator Willem Janszoon. He sighted the coast of Cape York Peninsula in early 1606 and made landfall on the 26th of February in 1606 at the Penefather River near the modern town of Wepa on Cape York. Later that year, Spanish explorer Luis Vaz de Torres sailed through and navigated Torres Strait Islands. The Dutch charted the whole of the western and northern coastlines and named the island continent New Holland during the 17th century. And although no attempt at settlement was made, several shipwrecks left men either stranded there or, as in the case of the Batavia in 1629, marooned for mutiny and murder, thus becoming the first Europeans to permanently inhabit the continent. William Dampier an English explorer and privateer, landed on the northwest coast of New Holland in 1688 while serving as a crewman under pirate Captain John Reed, and again in 1699 on a return trip. In 1770, James Cook sailed along and mapped the east coast, which he named New South Wales and claimed for Great Britain. With the loss of its American colonies in 1783, the British government sent a fleet of ships, the First Fleet, under the command of Captain Arthur Philip, to establish a new penal colony in New South Wales. A camp was set up and the Union flag raised at Sydney Cove, Port Jackson, on the 26th of January of 1788, a date which later became Australia's National Day, known as Australia Day. Most early convicts were transported for petty crimes and assigned as laborers or servants upon arrival. While the majority settled into colonial society once emancipated, convict rebellions and uprisings were also staged, but invariably suppressed under martial law. The 1808 Rum Rebellion, the only successful armed takeover of government in Australia, instigated the two-year period of military rule. The British laid claim to the whole Australian continent in 1827, 
when Major Edmund Lockyer established a settlement on King George's Sound, modern-day Albany. South Australia was founded as a free province. It was never a penal colony. Western Australia was also founded free, but later accepted transported convicts, the last of which arrived in 1868, decades after transportation had ceased to the other colonies. A series of gold rushes beginning in the early 1850s led to an influx of new migrants from China, North America, and continental Europe, and also spurred outbreaks of bushranging and outlaw living in the bush, and civil unrest. The latter peaked in 1854 when Ballarat miners launched the Eureka Rebellion against gold license fees. Between 1855 and 1890, the six colonies individually gained responsible government, managing most of their own affairs while remaining part of the British Empire. The colonial office in London retained control of some matters, notably foreign affairs and defense. On January 1st in 1901, Federation of the Colonies was achieved after a decade of planning, consultation, and voting. After the 1907 Imperial Conference, Australia and the other self-governing British colonies were given the status of dominion within the British Empire. The Federal Capital Territory, later renamed the Australian Capital Territory, was formed in 1911 as the location for the future Federal Capital of Canberra. Melbourne was the temporary seat of government from 1901 to 1927, while Canberra was being constructed. The Northern Territory was transferred from the control of the South Australian government to the Federal Parliament in 1911. In 1902, Australia became the colonial ruler of the Territory of Papua, which had initially been annexed by Queensland in 1883, and of the Territory of New Guinea, formerly German New Guinea. The two were unified as the Territory of Papua and New Guinea in 1949 and gained independence from Australia in 1975. In 1914, Australia joined Britain in fighting World War I with support from both the outgoing Commonwealth Liberal Party and the incoming Australian Labour Party. Australians took part in many of the major battles fought on the Western Front. Of about 416,000 who served, about 60,000 were killed and another 152,000 were wounded. Many Australians regarded the defeat of the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps at Gallipoli as the birth of the nation, its first major military action. The Kokoda Track campaign is regarded by many as an analogous nation-defining event during World War II. Britain's Statute of Westminster 1931 formally ended most of the constitutional links between Australia and the United Kingdom. Australia adopted it in 1942, but it was backdated to 1939 to confirm the validity of legislation passed by the Australian Parliament during World War II. The shock of Britain's defeat in Asia in 1942 followed soon after by the bombing of Darwin and other Japanese attacks led to a widespread belief in Australia that an invasion was imminent and a shift towards the United States as a new ally and protector. Since 1951, Australia has been a formal military ally of the United States under the ANZUS Treaty. After World War II, Australia encouraged immigration from mainland Europe, 
Since the 1970s and following the abolition of the white Australian policy, immigration from Asia and elsewhere was also promoted. As a result, Australia's demography, culture, and self-image were transformed. The Australia Act, 1986, severed the remaining constitutional ties between Australia and the United Kingdom. In a 1999 referendum, 55% of voters and a majority in every state rejected a proposal to become a republic with a president appointed by a two-thirds vote in both houses of the Australian Parliament. There has been an increasing focus in foreign policy on ties with other Pacific Rim nations, while maintaining close ties with Australia's traditional allies and trading partners. The indigenous population declined for 150 years following settlement, mainly due to infectious disease. Thousands more died because of frontier conflict with settlers. A government policy of assimilation, beginning with the Aboriginal Protection Act in 1869, resulted in the removal of many Aboriginal children from their families and communities, referred to as the Stolen Generations, a practice which also contributed to the decline in the indigenous population. As a result of the 1967 referendum, the federal government's power to enact special laws with respect to a particular race was extended to enable the making of laws with respect to aboriginals. Traditional ownership of land, native title, was not recognized in law until 1992, when the High Court of Australia held in Mabo v. Queensland that the legal doctrine that Australia had been terra nullius, or land belonging to no one, did not apply to Australia at the time of British settlement. Current Political and Humanitarian Issues Australia scores 97 out of 100 regarding its freedom status. An overview from Freedom House states, Australia has a strong record of advancing and protecting political rights and civil liberties. Challenges to these freedoms include the threat of foreign political influence, harsh policies toward asylum seekers, discrimination against LGBT plus people, increasingly stringent checks against the press, and ongoing difficulties ensuring the equal rights of First Nation Australians. I will present several areas of concern. Asylum Seekers and Refugees There are several refugee groups in Australia. These include 13,122 Iraqis, 12,714 Afghans, 12,537 Iranians, and 5,578 Pakistanis. In 2013, the Australian government introduced offshore processing of asylum seekers. Approximately 290 refugees and asylum seekers remained in Papua New Guinea and Nauru in 2020, with 870 resettled to the U.S. under an Australian-U.S. resettlement deal. Of those remaining offshore, all are adults and most have been there since 2013. Australia has rejected offers by New Zealand to take some of the refugees, with the government arguing that accepting the offer would encourage more boat arrivals as New Zealand is a backdoor route to Australia. At least 12 refugees and asylum seekers have died in Australia's offshore processing system since 2013, six of these suicides. 
Indigenous rights. Indigenous Australians are significantly overrepresented in the criminal justice system, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people comprising 29% of Australia's adult prison population, but just 3% of the national population. In June 2020, the Western Australian Parliament passed laws to reduce the practice of jailing people for unpaid fines, which disproportionately impact Indigenous people and people with lower incomes. There were at least seven Indigenous deaths in custody in Australia in 2020, four in Western Australian prisons, two in Victoria, and one in a Brisbane police watchhouse. The chief executive of global mining giant Rio Tinto announced he would be stepping down following an outcry over the company's destruction of a 46,000-year-old Indigenous site in Western Australia. Incarceration disproportionately affects Indigenous children. They are 21 times more likely to be detained than non-Indigenous children. Children's Rights Across Australia, about 600 children under the age of 14 are imprisoned each year. State and Territory Attorney Generals had the opportunity to increase the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14 years, the recommended international minimum, after a major public campaign ahead of their annual summit, but they declined. In August, the Australian Capital Territory Parliament committed to introducing their own legislation to raise the age of criminal responsibility. A landmark report by the South Australian Guardian for Children and Young People revealed disturbing treatment inside Adelaide's Youth Detention Centre, including invasive body searches. Freedom of Expression Pre-trial proceedings in the case of former spy Witness K and his lawyer Bernard Collary continued with both charged with breaching secrecy laws for exposing wrongdoing by the Australian government to obtain an advantage in trade negotiations with Timor-Leste. The court ruled that it would hold parts of the trial in secret after the Attorney General invoked powers under the National Security Information Act. The University of New South Wales apologized in August after deleting a Twitter post and temporarily removing an article about human rights in Hong Kong that pro-Beijing students had criticized. In response, the federal education minister announced an independent review into whether universities were meeting national free speech standards. A Deakin University report in September found that more than half of environmental scientists working for the government said that they had been prohibited from communicating scientific information. Government workers said that they had been restricted from speaking out on threatened species, climate change, and logging. Following police raids in June of 2019, on several Australian journalists, the parliamentary inquiry into press freedom recommended that journalists not be immune from secrecy prosecutions, but be granted new defenses for public interest journalism. In April, the High Court ruled that a police warrant issued to raid the home of a News Corps journalist in 2019 was invalid because the warrant was impossibly wide. Disability Rights Human Rights Watch Research, analyzing coroner's inquest reports between 2010 and 2020, 
found that about 60% of people who died in prisons in Western Australia had a disability. Of that group, 58% died because of lack of support provided by the prison, suicide, or violence. Rights of Older People The COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating impact on people living in aged care facilities in Australia. At time of writing, in Victoria there had been 655 deaths in aged care homes, and many outbreaks were preventable, according to experts. The pandemic had shown a light on insufficient staffing and inadequate community-based models of care in such facilities. Many aged care facilities across Australia routinely give dangerous drugs to residents with dementia to control their behavior, rather than providing them with the support they need. Terrorism and Counterterrorism Despite a continuing public campaign to change its approach, the Australian government was unwilling to repatriate Australian citizens held in northeast Syria for suspected involvement in the extremist armed group Islamic State and their family members. It is believed that there are between 70 and 80 Australians, roughly 8 are Australian fighters for the Islamic State, and 60 of them women and children, trapped in harsh conditions in camps and prisons. The government has helped bring home 8 children from northeast Syria in 2019. The government believes there are valid security concerns in bringing these people back to Australia. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton has claimed some of the women are hardcore and have the potential and capacity to come back here and cause a mass casualty event. Many of the Kurdish-dominated Syrian Democratic Forces, who were central to the defeat of the Islamic State, have been engaged in controlling prison camps in northern Syria, where about 12,000 men and boys suspected of Islamic State ties including 2,000 to 4,000 foreigners from almost 50 countries, are held. The camps are known to be overcrowded, unsanitary, and experiencing considerable unrest. There have been some escapes from the camps, and many fear that they are close to collapse. The situation increases the possibility that young people in the camps will be radicalized. In 2020, the U.S. government, which has repatriated some of its nationals, offered to help allies, including Australia, rescue their citizens from northern Syria. On the same day, Turkey called on Australia to repatriate its ICE fighters and their families in Turkish custody. Groups like Save the Children and Human Rights Watch have also called for the repatriation of women and children in the prison camps. While Australia has not joined the Dutch in outright rejecting the U.S. offer, the Morrison government has shown no enthusiasm for the idea. Its position has been further undermined by the actions of other nations with citizens in the camps. Kosovo, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kazakhstan, for example, have already repatriated hundreds of prisoners. Also to note, there are two terrorist groups known to be operating in the country, the Islamic State of Iraq and Asham, or ISIS. COVID-19 Victorian authorities subjected more than 3,000 people in public housing towers in Melbourne to a sudden mandatory lockdown for 14 days in July of 2020, after a rise in coronavirus cases among residents. 
This approach included a heavy police presence outside the towers and reports that police and health officials blocked a mother from breastfeeding her ill baby in the hospital. Residents complained about lack of communication by authorities and difficulties accessing food, exercise, fresh air, and medical supplies. The state compensated those held under the lockdown with hardship payments. The COVID-19 pandemic resulted in restrictions on freedom and peaceful assembly seen in June 2020 during a Black Lives Matter protest. Victoria's police have used harsh measures during that lockdown that threaten basic rights. In September, police were recorded arresting a pregnant woman on incitement charges for organizing an anti-lockdown protest on Facebook. Australia banned citizens from leaving the country as a public health measure during the coronavirus pandemic unless they met strict criteria. Restrictions on the number of passengers allowed into Australia left tens of thousands of Australians stranded overseas, included 3,000 classified as vulnerable because they were experiencing health complications or financial troubles. This punitive approach to travel left thousands of Australian families separated from their loved ones. Tensions between the Australian and Chinese government grew in 2020, as Beijing retaliated with trade sanctions after Australia led calls for an independent international inquiry into the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. On July 30, 2021, Australia has deployed hundreds of soldiers to Sydney to help enforce another COVID lockdown. A Delta outbreak, which began in June, has produced nearly 3,000 infections and led to nine deaths. Australian Defence Force soldiers will begin unarmed patrols, but many have questioned whether the military intervention is necessary, calling it heavy-handed. The lockdown in place until at least the 28th of August bars people from leaving their home except for essential exercise, shopping, caregiving, and other reasons. Despite five weeks of lockdown, infections in the nation's largest city continue to spread. Soldiers will join police in virus hotspots to ensure people are following the rules, which include a 10-kilometer or 6.2-miles travel limit. Information provided by health officials indicates the virus is mainly spreading through permitted movement. The Australian Lawyers Alliance, a civil rights group, called the deployment a concerning use of the army in a liberal democracy. Australia's rate of vaccination is 17% of the adult population and remains one of the lowest among OECD nations. Media In 2020, the Australian government discussed plans on requiring tech platforms to pay media companies for having their content available and shareable on their sites. Recently, this proposed legislation was finally passed. Facebook, one of the two companies most impacted by this decision, objected to the legislation. Their reasoning was that publishers actively choose to share their content on Facebook, implying that they helped to promote viewers to their own websites. Facebook then decided to remove any news content posted by people or publishers in Australia to avoid paying the fees that the government was mandating. Google also stated that they might remove their search engine from Australia. 
Since then, it appears that a compromise has been reached to some capacity and that Facebook will re-allow news content in the country. Illicit Drugs Tasmania is one of the world's major suppliers of illicit opiate products. The government maintains strict controls over areas of opium poppy cultivation and output of poppy straw concentrate. It is a major consumer of cocaine and amphetamines. Boundaries Australia's 2004 submission to the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf extends its continental margins over 3.37 million square kilometers, expanding its seabed roughly 30% beyond its claimed EEZ. All borders between Indonesia and Australia have been agreed upon bilaterally, but a 1997 treaty that would settle the last of their maritime and EEZ boundary has yet to be ratified by Indonesia's legislature. Indonesian groups challenge Australia's claim to Ashmore Reef. Australia closed parts of the Ashmore and Cartier Reserve to Indonesian traditional fishing. Military Australia exports military equipment to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, despite grave concerns about alleged war crimes by the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. Government Australia is a federal parliamentary constitutional monarchy. The country has maintained a stable, liberal, democratic political system under its constitution, which is one of the world's oldest since Federation in 1901. It is also one of the world's oldest federations in which power is divided between the federal and state and territorial governments. The Australian system of government combines elements derived from the political systems of the United Kingdom, which is a fused executive, constitutional monarchy, and strong party discipline, and the United States, which is a federalism, a written constitution, and strong bicameralism with an elected upper house, along with distinctive indigenous features. The federal government is separated into three branches. Legislature the bicameral parliament, comprising the monarch, represented by the governor-general, the senate, and the house of representatives. Executive, the federal executive council, which in practice gives legal effect to the decisions of the cabinet, comprising the prime minister and other ministers of state appointed by the governor-general on the advice of parliament. Judiciary, the high court of Australia, and other federal courts, whose judges are appointed by the Governor-General on advice of Parliament. Elizabeth II reigns as Queen of Australia and is represented in Australia by the Governor-General at the federal level and by the Governors at the state level, who, by convention, act on the advice of her ministers. Thus, in practice, the Governor-General acts as a legal figurehead for the actions of the Prime Minister and the Federal Executive Council. In the Senate, the Upper House, there are 76 Senators, 12 each from the states and two each from the mainland territories, the Australian Capital Territory and the Northern Territory. The House of Representatives, the Lower House, has 151 members elected from single-member electoral divisions, commonly known as electorates or seats, allocated to the states based on population. 
with each original state guaranteed a minimum of five seats. Elections for both chambers are normally held every three years simultaneously. Senators have overlapping six-year terms, except for those from the territories, whose terms are not fixed but are tied to the electoral cycle for the lower house. Thus, only 40 of the 76 places in the Senate are put to each election unless the cycle is interrupted by a double dissolution. Voting is compulsory for all enrolled citizens 18 years and older in every jurisdiction, as is enrollment. The party with majority support in the House of Representatives forms the government and its leader becomes prime minister. In cases where no party has majority support, the governor-general has the constitutional power to appoint the prime minister and, if necessary, dismiss one that has lost the confidence of parliament. The most notable exercise of this was the dismissal of the Whitlam government in the constitutional crisis of 1975. Due to the relatively unique position of Australia operating as a Westminster parliamentary democracy with an elected upper house, the system has sometimes been referred to as having a Washminster mutation, or as a semi-parliamentary system. There are two major political groups that usually form government, federally and in the states, the Australian Labour Party and the Coalition, which is a formal grouping of the Liberal Party and its minor partner, the National Party. Within Australian political culture, the Coalition is considered centre-right and the Labour Party is considered centre-left. Independent members and several minor parties have achieved representation in Australian parliaments, mostly in upper houses. The Australian Greens are often considered the third force in politics, being the third largest party by both vote and membership. Australia has six states, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria, and Western Australia, and two major mainland territories, the Australian Capital Territory and the Northern Territory. In most respects, these two territories function as states, except that the Commonwealth Parliament has the power to modify or repeal any legislation passed by the territory parliaments. State parliaments have the power to legislate with respect to education, criminal law and state police, health, transport, and local government, but the Commonwealth Parliament does not have any specific power to legislate in these areas. However, Commonwealth laws prevail over state laws to the extent of the inconsistency. Each state and major mainland territory has its own parliament, unicameral in the Northern Territory, the Australian Capital Territory, and Queensland, and bicameral in other states. The states are sovereign entities, although subject to certain powers of the Commonwealth as defined by the Constitution. The lower houses are known as the Legislative Assembly, which is the House of Assembly in South Australia and Tasmania. The upper houses are known as the Legislative Council. The head of the government in each state is the Premier, and in each territory the Chief Minister. The Queen is represented in each state by a Governor, and in the Northern Territory the Administrator. In the Commonwealth, the Queen's representative is the Governor-General. The Commonwealth Parliament also directly administers the external territories. 
In addition to the states and territories, there are dependent areas. These are Ashmore and Cartier Islands, Christmas Island, Cocos or Keeling Islands, Coral Sea Islands, Heard Island and MacDonald Islands, and Norfolk Island. Australia's armed forces, the Australian Defence Force, comprise the Royal Australian Navy, the Australian Army, and the Royal Australian Air Force, in total numbering 59,000 total active troops as of 2020. This included 29,600 in the Army, 15,000 in the Navy, and 14,400 in the Air Force. The role of Commander-in-Chief is vested in the Governor-General, who appoints a Chief of the Defense Force from one of the armed services on the advice of the government. The military inventory includes a mix of domestically produced and imported Western, mostly U.S. origin, particularly aircraft, weapons systems. Since 2015, the U.S. is the largest supplier of arms. The Australian defense industry produces a variety of land and sea weapons platforms. The defense industry also participates in joint development and production ventures with other Western countries, including the U.S. and Canada. Approximately 700 troops are deployed in the Middle East. Voluntary military service is available for those of 17 years of age with consent and 18 without. There is no conscription. That was abolished in 1973. Women are allowed to serve in all roles of the military. The approach to social welfare is based on the notions of a fair go for all and egalitarianism. Since the 1970s, legislation has promoted equity and equal access to services for all citizens, often to improve the chances of the disadvantaged. This history of helping the battler has been challenged by notions of economic rationalism. Pertinent social welfare issues, including rising unemployment, an aging population, child care, assisting people from diverse cultural backgrounds, assisting people in remote areas, and poverty. Approximately 2 million people live below the poverty line. A host of social welfare provisions have been enacted throughout the nation's history. Australia was one of the first countries to give women the vote. It also was the first country to legislate a 40-hour working week in 1948. Citizenship People are not granted citizenship by birth. At least one parent must be a citizen or permanent resident of Australia. Dual citizenship is recognized. Residency requirement for naturalization is four years. Economy A wealthy country, Australia has a market economy, a high GDP per capita, and a relatively low rate of poverty. In terms of average wealth, Australia ranked second in the world after Switzerland from 2013 until 2018. In 2018, Australia overtook Switzerland and became the country with the highest average wealth. Melbourne reached top spot for the fourth year in a row on the Economist's 2014 list of the world's most livable cities, followed by Adelaide, Sydney, and Perth in the fifth, seventh, and ninth places respectively. Australia has among the highest house prices and some of the highest household debt levels in the world. 
As of 2020, interest rates in Australia were set at a record low of 0.1%, targeting an inflation rate of 2-3%. The service sector of the economy, including tourism, education, and financial services, accounts for about 70% of GDP. Rich in natural resources, Australia is a major exporter of agricultural products, particularly wheat and wool, minerals such as iron ore and gold, and energy in the forms of liquefied natural gas and coal. Although agriculture and natural resources account for only 3% and 5% of GDP respectively, they contribute substantially to export performance. Australia is the world's fourth largest exporter of wine, and the wine industry contributes $5.5 billion per year to the nation's economy. In 2020, the Australian Council of Social Service released a report stating that relative poverty was growing in Australia, with an estimated 3.2 million people, or 13.6% of the population, living below an internationally accepted relative poverty threshold of 50% of country's median income. It is also estimated that there were 774,000, or 17.7%, of the children under the age of 15 in relative poverty. Australia is an open market with minimal restrictions on imports of goods and services. It has a free trade agreement with China, Republic of Korea, Japan, Chile, Malaysia, New Zealand, Singapore, Thailand, and the United States. It also has a regional free trade agreement with New Zealand and the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, which is a regional grouping that promotes economic, political, and security cooperation among its 10 members. Australia is a significant exporter of natural resources, energy, and food. Australia's abundant and diverse natural resources attract high levels of foreign investment and include extensive reserves of coal, iron, copper, gold, natural gas, uranium, and renewable energy sources. It's the world's fourth largest producer of gold. Natural resources include alumina, coal, iron ore, copper, tin, gold, silver, uranium, nickel, tungsten, rare earth elements, mineral sands, lead, zinc, diamonds, natural gas, and petroleum. Australia is the world's largest net exporter of coal, accounting for 29% of global coal exports. It also leads the world in exporting iron and petroleum gases. Agricultural products include sugarcane, wheat, barley, milk, rapeseed, beef, cotton, grapes, poultry, and potatoes. Industries include mining, industrial and transportation equipment, food processing chemicals, and steel. Regarding land use, 52.9% is used for agriculture, 16.2% is forest, and 30.9% is used for other. Out of the agricultural use portion, 88.4% of that is used for permanent pasture, 0.09% is used for permanent crops, and 11.6% as arable land. The unemployment rate is 4.9% for the year 2021. Exports of products equal to $245.045 billion in U.S. dollars in 2020. 
Major export partners include China, Japan, South Korea, U.S., U.K., Singapore, and New Zealand in 2020. Major export commodities. Iron ore, coal, gold, meat, copper, wheat, and aluminum oxide. This is from 2020. Imports of products. This is equal to 211.972 billion U.S. dollars. This is from 2020. Major import partners include China, United States, Japan, Thailand, Germany, Malaysia, and Korea in 2020. Import commodities are cars, refined petroleum, crude petroleum, automatic data processing machines, broadcasting equipment, gold, motor vehicles, and medicines. This is from 2020. The top services imported and exported were personal travel and transportation. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Australia Part 1 in my Nations of the World podcast series. Please be sure to subscribe to Nations of the World podcast so you won't miss my next episode, Australia Part 2. With the release of my two-part episode on Australia, it marks a milestone of my ninth and 10th episodes for Nations of the World podcast. I'm excited to share that in just under four months, I have hundreds of listeners from all over the world in 54 different countries. If you are enjoying the series, please consider leaving a review for Nations of the World podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also help to support my work by making a small contribution on Patreon. You can find me there at patreon.com slash nations of the world. With your review on Apple Podcasts, I will give you a shout out in my next episode. If you contribute on Patreon at the first level, you will get a shout out in my next episode and you'll have a chance to submit a question that you'd like to have answered in one of my upcoming podcasts. This can be a question about how I plan or produce my show or it can be a question to be answered in one of my upcoming episodes about a particular country. If you contribute on Patreon at the second level, you'll receive the shout-out and question submittal, along with free access to all the episodes electronically in ebook format. These ebooks range in size from about 10,000 to 25,000 words each. You can also just purchase a single ebook in the series on Amazon in the Kindle ebook section for just 99 cents. You can find them by searching for the country name followed by Nations of the World. Thank you again for listening to my podcasts. Without your interest in the show, I would have no reason to continue producing more episodes. I have many exciting ideas on how to expand the show, which I can't wait to get to in the future. I also look forward to hearing from and interacting with my listeners to get some input, advice, and ideas on how to improve the show. Gaining knowledge about other people and their culture is often the best way to understanding who they are and why they do things a certain way. This in turn can make us less fearful of differences and hopefully more accepting. Let's face it, we're all human and we all share the same world.